0: Morning. Morning. Please pray with me. Oh, holy triune God, we bow before you this morning. Thanking You for Your great grace. Father, we thank You for sending Your Son to save Your people from their sins. Father, our desire is that His name might be exalted this day, that Your people might be strengthened. Father, give us what we need. We pray for Your people across the world. Bless them, encourage them this day. And Father, may Your Son Jesus be exalted all around the globe. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was the renowned theologian Karl Barth who said that we should preach with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Or was it Charles Haddon Spurgeon? Or was it Billy Graham? Or was it Martin Luther? The quotation on the internet is attributed to all of them, so I I don't know. And I'm not sure who said it, and I'm not sure that I agree with it, except for sometimes. And saints today is one of those times. We... You and me, we, according to the apostles Paul and Peter, are citizens of another nation. A holy nation. 1 Peter 2.9 We are subjects of another kingdom. Yea, our citizenship is registered in the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3.20 But, but... We are also residents of Earth, inhabitants of the United States of America, citizens of the state of Texas. In the week just past, relations of ours were murdered, fellow citizens of the United States, but deeper than that, fellow citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And my heart is heavy from this. And my mind has been troubled. And I know that some of your minds have been troubled as well. The pastor of the Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee where three Christian adults and three children were murdered, martyred, The pastor there was previously an associate pastor at Park City's Presbyterian Church in Dallas. Some of you will recall that we've had a relationship with Park City's Presbyterian Church for a long time. Some of our former members came to us from Park City's Presbyterian Church. And some of you will recall that Park City's Presbyterian Church is the church that hosted a debate, credo-baptism versus pato baptism where our pastor at the time, Hal Brunson, debated our friend, the Presbyterian minister, Dave Sherwood, a minister who preached to us from this pulpit in this auditorium. After the bloodletting of last week, Park City's Presbyterian Church put out a statement. Listen, the Park City's Presbyterian Church PCPC family is incredibly saddened by the unimaginable tragedy today at Covenant Presbyterian School in Nashville, Tennessee. Covenant Presbyterian Church is a sister church of PCPC. Many of our members have deep friendships and family connections there. We weep deeply for the unimaginable sorrow that our friends at Covenant Presbyterian Church and school are suffering and will continue to suffer. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we will suffer alongside our friends and grieve together, but not as those Without the hope of Jesus, said Paul Goebel, associate pastor. Chad Scruggs, current lead pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, served for several years as associate pastor at PCPC. PCPC senior pastor Mark Davis shared, quote, We love the Scruggs family, and we mourn with them over their precious daughter, Haley. Together we trust in the power of Christ to draw near and give us the comfort and hope we desperately need. May Christ have mercy. May He be our hope and peace. Well, saints, if you haven't already, I exhort you to pray for these saints. I can can only imagine the intensity of their grief, the depth of their grief. Of their suffering. And as one often given to outburst of emotion myself, yes, I have a temper. They need our prayers for comfort, for healing, for restraint. Governmental authorities are currently withholding information from the public about motive but all that our eyes can see and all that our ears can hear tell us that the covenant Christian school was attacked because it was a Christian institution and because Christians would be there. That's the reason why this soft target was selected. Saints, I can assure you that When a husband kissed his wife goodbye last Monday morning and sent her off to her job at the school, he had no idea that he was sending her off for the last time on earth. But he was. But he was. Does the Bible have anything to say about Christians being persecuted, attacked, even killed because they are known associates of Jesus. Our newspapers are talking about this, but has Holy Scripture any wisdom, any warning for the people of God, for us? Well, saints, unsurprisingly... Jesus and his holy apostles have quite a bit to say to us about this. Paul wrote to Timothy and told him, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Now listen, you know it's a knee-jerk reaction among humans. When something bad happens to think, what did I ever do to deserve this? Have you ever thought that? Well, consider yourself normal. Blessed Peter was concerned that Christians might think that the trials and persecutions that they were enduring was evidence of God's displeasure. Look at all these bad things that are happening to us. He was concerned that the saints might misread providence and somehow conclude that God was against them. So he wrote to the church and he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, He is evil spoken of, but on your part, He is glorified." But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. First Peter 4, 12 through 16. Listen, Peter assures the saints that their endurance Persecution is acceptable to God. Christian sufferings glorifies the Savior by emulating the Savior. Peter writes, This is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endures grief, suffering wrongfully. What glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, Reviled not again. When He suffered, He threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously, who His own self bare our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live to righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. 1 Peter 2, 19-24. Echoing the Savior... Peter wrote, Who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Well, where in the world did Peter get that idea? Well, He got it straight from the Savior. I've reminded you before that when you read the Beatitudes, everywhere that Jesus says blessed, the Greek word is a form of makarios. And an alternate translation is happy. Happy. Happy and blessed. In the Sermon on the Mount, the Master preached blessed. Happy. Happy. Are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Blessed, happy are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew five ten through 12. Beloved, our Savior and Holy Scripture <laughs> do have something to say to us about how we should react to Christian martyrdom. Jesus and the Bible have plenty to say about it. (laughs) And if you didn't think it would happen in America, well, it has. It's here. And don't you remember that deadliest church shooting in the history of the United States of America that happened not far away from here? Just a little over five years ago, at the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas, where 26 were executed and 20 more grievously wounded? Or have you forgotten that already? Why a Christian church? Well, I think I know why. The shepherd Peter warned the church, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8 Now, beloved, listen, listen. You do understand, don't you? You do understand that when a lion devours his prey, he kills it. You do understand that, don't you? My Christian, listen, I don't want to scare you, but sometimes you need to be reminded what's at stake. And listen, Satan, the devil would like to kill you. Do you understand that? Some of you will remember from the series I preached to you a few years back on the Lord's Prayer, that when we pray, deliver us from evil, the alternate and arguably the more accurate translation is deliver us from the evil one. The Greek term is personified. It's a plea to the Almighty to deliver us from personified evil. Now, listen, according to Jesus, the thief, that is, evil personified, the Satan, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am, Jesus said, but I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 10.10. Philosophical theologians, Christians who consider the so-called problem of evil, often categorize evil into two categories. What they term natural evils, things like hurricanes, tornadoes, mudslides, and earthquakes, and what they term moral evils or gratuitous evils, things like Nazi death camps or the massacre of Christians and children at the covenant. Christian School of Nashville, Tennessee. Now, the reason for this bifurcation is that often the philosophers seek, they seek to explain these evils, these problems at different levels. And, and listen, certainly with our human eyes, we can see how different a hurricane is from a Nazi extermination program. I, I can see that, can't you? Those are two different things. Now, the activity which men engage in when they attempt to explain the ways of God to men, especially in regards to evil, is called theodicy. That word theodicy comes from the Greek theos, God, and decay, the justice. A theodicy is an argument which seeks to justify the ways of God to men. And some have assumed that this originated with Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz because of his well-known 1710 work, Essays on Theodicy on the Goodness of God, the Freedom of Man, and the Origin of Evil. Leibniz's Theodicy, a work that was brutally and effectively satirized by the atheist Voltaire in his famous novella, Candide. But saints, listen. The desire of men to understand the ways of God are much, much more primitive than Leibniz. Arguably, a major theme of one of the most ancient books in Holy Scripture, Job, is about the man Job's quest to confront the Almighty and secure an explanation of why God allowed evil to torment Job. And and listen, friend, if a study of Job hasn't troubled you, you must not have understood what you were reading. If it hasn't troubled you, it's not for the weak of mind. Near the end of the book, Job... God answers Job's request for an audience with the divine. God speaks to him. And listen, it becomes quite clear that the answers that God provides to Job are not intellectually satisfying to him, to Job. But, but the answers are crushing, awe-inspiring, overwhelming for much of the book, Job is defending his honor to his miserable com- comforters who accuse him of sin. They assume that the evil that's come upon God is a judgment, or the, the judgment or the evil that's come upon Job, they assume that's a judgment from God. Job defends himself and he desires an explanation from God. He cries out, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I might come even to His seat. I would order my cause before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which He would answer me and understand what He would say to me. Will He plead against me with His great power? No. But He would put strength in me there the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Job 23, 3 through 7. Finally, finally, near the end of the book, the Almighty responds. He says, You want it? You got it. And he comes and he speaks to Job. And God speaks to Job for two chapters. Chapter 38 and 39. And then, then he demands, shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Okay, Job, I've talked for two chapters. Now back to you. And Job displays astonishing wisdom. And he does what all men who would question the Almighty should do. He shuts up. When God demands that he respond, Job replies, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job 40, verses 4. And five. But God won't have it. He says, Gird up your loins now like a man. You wanted this. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me, wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job 40 verses 7 and 8. And then the Almighty answers them for two more chapters, 40 and 41. And at the end, at the end of it all, righteous Job says, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. Job 42, verses 2-6. through 6. Now listen, beloved, you can go and study the book, Job, and you will not come away intellectually satisfied. But listen, that's not God's problem. That's yours. The answer of God in the book, Job, comes down to this. Listen, God does not answer to man. God is not accountable to man. What God does is right. Ever, only, always. And He is not worshipped on man's terms. You bless me and I'll worship you. He is not worshipped on man's terms. He is worshipped as God because He is God. Or He's not worshipped at all. Do you understand? Now, saints, listen. (laughs) Some of you know this. The closest thing to this in the New Covenant Scriptures is in Romans chapter 9. Where Paul anticipates human arguments against the God of justice regarding his loving election of Jacob and his hating condemnation of Esau. Remember this. I know you remember this. I'm reading from the New International Version. Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but of him who calls, she was told the elder shall serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy, and He hardens whom He wants to harden. But one of you will say to me, Then why does He still blame us? For who resists His will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? For who resists His will? Shall Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and to make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known? To the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory even us whom he has called not only from the Jews but also from the Gentiles Romans 9 10 through 24 not Edward Saul of Tarsus God's holy apostle Paul Beloved, li- listen listen The Christian religion is sometimes called the Christian faith. And that is because not all the time, but sometimes, sometimes God will not answer the questions of man. His only answer is, trust me or don't. Trust me or don't. The answer understood by Paul, the apostle, is the same answer understood by Job, the patriarch. God does not answer to man. God is not accountable to man. What God does is right, ever, only, always. And he is not worshipped on man's terms. You bless me and I'll serve you. He's not worshipped on man's terms. He's worshipped as God because he is God. Or he's not worshipped at all. He is absolutely sovereign. He is over everything and in charge of everything. And he does what he pleases. And what he does is good. Good. And what He does is right. Listen, this is what faithful Christians believe. He has never done one thing wrong. Nothing. John the Beloved recorded these words of the Savior. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I've said to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake because they know not Him that sent me. John 15 verses 18 through 21. Listen, beloved. If I've understood anything from the apostolic teaching, if we're persecuted, we need to make sure that it's for His sake. You understand? And not because we're the problem. I have met some folks that were so harsh, so unfriendly, that I can imagine someone persecuting them for it. And it would probably be well-deserved. But Jesus and His followers are not so. Saints, listen. Those people that were murdered at the Covenant School were killed because they were Christians. And those orange-clad Christians on the beaches of Tripoli who had their heads sawed off by wicked Muslims in 2015, well, John's vision into the heavenly realm teaches us that the martyrs of Jesus are close close to the throne of God. Yea, they are under the heavenly altar. And as for those who have harmed saints, hear the teaching of the righteous judge of all men. The disciples came unto Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name, receiveth me. But, but, whoso shall offend one of these little ones who believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Better! Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe! to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It's better for thee to enter into life, halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, it's better for thee to enter into life with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed, therefore, that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Matthew 18 verses 1 through 11. Well, friend, have you ever heard that statement, paybacks are hell? Well, now you know where it comes from. Woe, woe, woe to the one who would offend, persecute, harm, or hurt one of us. One of we little ones who believe in Jesus. Whoa. Listen, if you mess with the saints, our God is going to bring down hell on you. Well, saints, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, so you can take this with a grain of salt. But I believe that persecution of Christians will increase not decrease in the days ahead. And I am extremely optimistic about this planet long-term. Extremely optimistic. But in the near term, we need to be ready for what's next. And quite a few of our neighbors are hostile towards our king. And think with me a little bit. How should we, we Christians, how should we respond to persecution? Well, I believe there is a mandatory response. And that response is solidarity. Listen, we are to identify with and pray for persecuted saints. Solidarity. Listen, part of the training, the the teaching that Jesus gave His disciples was preparing them for persecution. And their response to it. And remember, He has called us too. He has called us too. We are His disciples. I am one. Are you? We're His disciples too. Listen to what He taught them what He taught us. Listen. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. For a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given to you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. There is nothing hid that shall not be made known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak you in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach you upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your Father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones, a cup of cold water only, in the name of a disciple, Verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Matthew ten, sixteen through forty-two. Apostolic training program. Get ready, guys. It's gonna be a lot of persecution. You, listen. Do you see that the priority there is the proclamation of the gospel, even if it kills them? even if it kills us. You see, listen, saints, listen. We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. Do you understand this? We are part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're ambassadors from the kingdom of heaven to the realm of earth. And our mission is simple. Remain faithful and testify to the reality of our resurrected and reigning King. Well, besides faithfulness and solidarity with those who suffer, what are other valid Christian responses to persecution? Well, I see some more. Avoiding or fleeing persecution. Enduring persecution. And resisting persecution. In a situation where persecution comes, it's wise to remember that following the way of the cross, the way of Jesus, is is not to be seeking persecution. And so wisdom would demand of us that we ask, is there a way in which I can remain faithful and avoid persecution? Remember, wise, wise as serpents. Avoidance of persecution by withdrawal is sometimes appropriate. The great prophet Elijah hid in a cave to avoid persecution from wicked king Ahab. And God approved him. That's in 1 Kings chapter 19. Joseph, the husband of Mary, was instructed by the Almighty to hide in Egypt with the newborn Jesus. Matthew 2 verses 13 through 18. And Joseph and Mary and the babe avoided persecution from Herod. By fleeing and hiding in Egypt. Jesus himself withdrew and hid himself at times because his hour was not yet come. But he, he never pulled away from confrontation by compromise. When Jesus sent out His disciples to declare the coming of the kingdom, He instructed them to move from city, cities that opposed them, shaking off the dust from their feet, but continuing the movement of the gospel throughout the land. And listen, that's what Paul did. That's what Paul did. Escaping from one locale... When persecution became too hot, avoiding it by withdrawal. But listen, his very escape led to the further geographical spread of the gospel. Do you see this? So listen, Paul's flight was not merely an avoidance of persecution. In the providence of God, Paul's flight from suffering was a fulfillment of his mission to spread the gospel of Jesus. Brother Bill just preached about this. Listen, there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia and under the region that lieth round about there. And they preached the gospel there. Acts 14 verses 5 through 7. Some of you know that there are said to be millions of brothers and sisters in the land of China. I actually have personal knowledge that many of those believers meet under cover of darkness in what are sometimes called underground churches. And they're not usually physically underground, though they may be. You remember the early Roman saints met in catacombs. But they meet covertly, secretly, as a matter of survival. And they are righteous, not sinful. And we should pray for those persecuted brethren. Not a sin to hide or to avoid Persecution. Flight or avoidance of persecution is certainly a live option in many situations, except when faithfulness would be compromised. Remember, saints, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Sometimes persecution cannot be avoided. All who could flee at the covenant school fled. And that was righteous. But some couldn't flee. And when flight or hiding or avoidance was not an option, all they could do was endure. Now, listen. There are times when faithfulness to the Savior requires a saint's physical death. Do you understand this? There are times when faithfulness to the Savior requires the saint's physical death. The German Christian minister, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was murdered by the Nazis, observed, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. And friend, listen, I I would say to you, if you have not thought about whether or not you are willing to die for Jesus' sake, if you haven't thought about that, you may need to go home this afternoon and to use a phrase from the Savior count the cost. Make sure you want to be in on this thing. Speaking to His beloved disciples, Jesus said, You shall be hated of all men for My name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Matthew 10.22 Let me give you a pep talk. Everybody's going to hate you. Because of me. Are you buying that? Listen, this is not the lot of every Christian disciple, but the testimony of history regarding the disciples of Jesus is that only one of them died from old age. And that was the beloved John, and he died in exile. And the rest were all killed violently. The testimony of history. Are we better than they? Friend, we might need to be ready for what's next. Enduring persecution, even to the point of death, may not be the lot of any Christian Or it may be the lot of any Christian, though it is not the lot of every Christian. Listen, let me say that again. Enduring persecution, even to the point of death, may not be the lot, or may be the lot of any Christian, though it is not the lot of every Christian. Do you understand? What I'm saying is, it might be you. In our recent inquiries and New Members class, we lauded the beauty of the flower of grace. And we noted that the P of the tulip stands for the doctrine called perseverance of the saints. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow before King Nebuchadnezzar's golden idol. And they were fully aware of the consequences of their action. Daniel 3. You think your God's going to save you? He might. We're not sure. But there ain't no way we're bowing to that thing. They persevered. Daniel wouldn't stop praying. He persevered in prayer. Even after a royal decree. They made a law against it just because of Daniel. The Daniel law. And he suffered the consequences of his actions. He got thrown right into the death chamber, fed to the lions. But God... Daniel 6. Several times Paul demonstrates his readiness to endure the consequences of his ministry, even to the point of death. And even though he was warned, he was steadfast persevering in his journey towards Jerusalem. He said, I'm ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 21.13 You might get hurt there. They might tie you up. They might do bad things to you. Yeah, I know. I've already thought this one through. I'm I'm already ready to die. It might hurt. I'm a little scared about that, but I'm not scared of them. Paul was ready to endure persecution, and he endured a lot of it, and eventually he was martyred for his faith. Well, listen, in addition to solidarity, hiding, fleeing, and enduring persecution. There's another Christian response to persecution that I want to mention. And that's the Christian response of resisting persecution. There are times when it's a righteous move to resist persecution by asserting and even contending for one's rights under law. Jesus, who did no wrong, Jesus defended Himself against priestly tyranny by invoking the law against His accusers. When one of the high priest officers struck Jesus, the Savior resisted the abuse and responded with these words, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? John 18 Verse 23. That's not right. The great Apostle Paul, through his knowledge of the Romans' law and his understanding of his rights as a citizen of that earthly empire, was able to resist the horrific persecution of a, quote, examination by scourging. How did he... How did he resist it? Well, he asserted his rights under Roman law. Guys, you can't do that. Stop it right now. You can't do that. Why? Did you think you could do that to a Roman? Are you a Roman? Heck yes, I'm a Roman. How did you become a Roman? I was born that way. I know, listen... (laughs) You may object. I know that both Jesus' and Paul's resistance of persecution were short-lived because both of them perished under horrible persecution. But listen, in both cases, their responses to the immediate persecution they were facing were valid and righteous. And saints, listen, I believe with all my heart that we should resist persecution as much as we can by upholding the law, by using the law, even by changing the laws, by electing government officials who will honor and enforce the law. And listen, you Christians, you should vote in your own self-interest And if you're a Christian and you understand what your self-interest is, Christian, your self-interest is Christ's because you are Christ's. So to summarize, saints, here I believe are some valid responses to persecutions that may come against us for His namesake. Solidarity. We must stand with persecuted brothers and sisters by doing what we can to help them. And most of all, by praying for them. And if you're not praying for persecuted saints, you should add that to your list and pray for them regularly. Hiding or fleeing There are times when persecution can be avoided by hiding or fleeing. And if it doesn't compromise the faith, we should avail ourselves of these means if they're available. There may be times when we cannot flee, hide, or resist. And in those times, friend, we may be called upon to endure persecution. And the promise of Jesus is, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation 2.10 And if we can, when we can, we should righteously resist persecution, asserting law or even changes in the law to protect ourselves. May God have mercy on us. And may God bless those who mourn. And by His grace and by the Spirit of Jesus, may they be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Who shall the Lord's elect condemn? Tis God that justifies their souls, and mercy like a mighty stream o'er all their sins divinely rolls. Who shall adjudge the saints to hell? Tis Christ that suffered in their stead, and the, the salvation to fulfill, behold him rising from the dead. He lives, he lives and sits above, forever interceding there, and who shall divide us from his love? Or what should tempt us to despair? Shall persecution or distress, famine or sword or nakedness? He that hath loved us bears us through and makes us more than conquerors too. Faith hath an overcoming power. It triumphs in the dying hour. Christ is our life, our joy, our hope. Nor can we sink with such a prop. Not all that men on earth can do, nor powers on high, nor powers below, shall cause His mercy to remove or wean our hearts from Christ our love. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Holy Father, You whose Son has commanded us to love our enemies. Lead our enemies to Your Son that they may bow before Him and kiss the Son lest He be angry and they perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. O Holy Father, lead our enemies into truth that they may become our friends. Friends to us and friends to Thee. Oh, gracious Father, deliver us from hatred, cruelty, or revenge. In your mercy, calm our troubled souls and grant us the grace to see you high and lifted up, ruling, reigning, putting all things under the feet of your Son, Jesus. We desire these mercies in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.